Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to Friday's edition of the Daily Bible Podcast. Friday, October 6th. October 6th. Certainly not October 3rd. Nope. 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 October 6th. Did not say that. Yep. October 6th, uh, 2023, year of our Lord. That's right. And uh, you know what next Friday is? The 13th. The 13th, bro. Dun, dun, dun. Are we not going to do the podcast on that day because of the, uh, you know, the bad luck and all the that? The bad luck. Yeah. No. We're actually going to do the podcast under a ladder with broken mirrors on the ground and a black cat walking back and forth in front of us. Wow. Wow, really? You're really going for it. Yeah. Will you be holding the cat? Can I take a picture of No, this? you're the one who's been holding cats out here, man. We went to that plant shop and you were one just like best cat. friends with the cat. One cat. I picked up one cat. You know cat. how many more that is than me? That's one more cat than I've held. No, I don't have any pictures of me and cats like the way you do. We have Actually, pictures that's of not you true. I do have a picture cats. of you with that cat in Famous in Oregon. I took a picture of it. Well, I wasn't baptizing the cat. I wasn't <laughs> preaching with the cat. I wasn't snuggling oh, the yeah, cat while right. drinking latte. You're, you're right. You're right. That's true. That's we true. have photos of all these things. Do we? We do. do we? Undoctored photos too. Undoctored. Yeah. I mean, in the age that we live in. Revelation 21, eight man says liars go to hell. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you just escalated this to a 10, bro. <laughs> all right. All right. Hey, when cats are at, at, at stake here, I need to make it clear that I'm not a cat person. Well, I mean, I don't know. Hey, have you bought any candy yet for uh, October 31st? I haven't. You should. Yeah. Because because here's what we're doing. We're, 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 we're going to get stickers and put them on our candy so that yep. we hand them out to our neighbors. People are like, oh, cool. I want to go to the church. So I bought, uh, I don't know, like six or seven boxes of the big candies this morning. Yep. Uh, so, so we can get those stickers and stick them on our candies and then hand them to our neighbors. Hopefully they don't get sick. And we're helping out our congregants because we've got a couple of people in our church who are involved in dentistry. <laughs> so this is loving to our, our church body. If any of said dentists want to sponsor my candy giving, I will be happy to oblige. Okay. You could donate to our cause and then thus create more patients for yourself. Done, done, and done. Yeah. And done her. Yeah. Yeah, we will have those, and we're going to be uh, putting those stickers on. Easy way to get the word out. Um, to give the good candy, uh, though. Like, do not give any of the bad candy. If you're going to put our sticker, don't put it on good and plenty. What's a good and plenty? It's like a black licorice hot tamale. Ugh. It's disgusting. I, you know, I'm generally not a licorice kind of guy, period. Chocolate. Give me the chocolate with the nuts in it. Okay. I'm all about that. Reese's okay. Pieces, Snickers, baby. Like, any of the good ones, the big ones. Yeah. Not like a, a hot tamales, lame. Uh, candy corn on a rare occasion. The pumpkins, the candy corn pumpkins, those are good. They taste the same. No, they don't. Thicker. They do. No, they don't taste the same. I am it's almost different. 100% sure they are the same candy. No, they just it's have different, different colors. It's different. Okay. It's different. Have you ever run into somebody who claims they can taste different flavors in the M&M's? <laughs> uh, I think their mind is playing tricks on them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's a test that they give you for whether or not you're a psychopath when you go to like the mental health ward. <laughs> Do you taste differences in these Skittles? Can you taste blue? Is it wise to buy a pack of Coke Zero to give those out to the parents as they take their kids out for trick-or-treating? Hey, you could do that. Yeah. That'd be cool. Or, uh, do you know, I don't know if we want to spill the tea on that, but uh, uh -oh. there's some podcast host that listen, that records another podcast that most of our people probably listen to on a regular basis who drinks diet caffeine-free Coke. Wow. That's like just water that's brown. 
and carbonated. No, it still has some sweetness to it, I guess. Yeah. As, aspartamine. It's gross. Yeah. It's gross. Yeah, you could do that. Get creative with it. Yeah. It's, it's not too different from, from uh, Dr. Uh, MacArthur. He drinks, uh, what are those called? The frescas. Frescas. Yeah. Not frisks. Nope. Frescas is different. Yep. Remember when we went to Shepherd's and they had a picture of his face on the can? That yeah, was kind of cool. weird. I liked it. I was, I was amused. Yeah. Do you think he has one of those sitting in his office with his face on it? Mm, I doubt it. I think Phil Johnson has one of those sitting in his office with MacArthur's face on it. He would. Yeah, I'm sure. But Dr. MacArthur, not so much. Yeah. This is one of the most obscure intros that I think we've had to any of our podcasts so far. Unhinged. Day three of our unhingement. (laughs) Three days in a row. We're going to try to break the streak. Hey, but at least you're talking in this one and not like... I'm awake this time. Dude, I'm not here. I have caffeine. Don't bother me. I'm not not, not sweaty anymore. PTSD from unstacking chairs. Dude, I was in a dumpster. That's all I'm saying. I was in a dumpster. I have the photo. You do. I do. I could put a cat on your shoulder in the dumpster and one-up things. Okay, we can try. Yep. Hey, uh, grab your Bibles, open them up to Isaiah. Unless you're driving. Or don't if you're driving. Yeah. But Isaiah, uh, we are in 34 through 36, and then we are back in Philippians uh, chapter dose, chapter two for our English speaking audience. Thanks for clarifying. You're welcome. So yeah, Isaiah 34 though. Um, This is the fate of those who reject God is basically what we find here in this chapter. And it, uh, it does not go well, uh, for them. Verse two, the Lord is enraged against all the nations, furious against all their host. He has devoted them to destruction, given them over for slaughter. The Lord has a sword verse six that is sated with blood, gorged with fat. Uh, God's not playing at, at this point. He's been pushed to the limits of his wrath and, uh, or of his patience. And he is pouring out the wrath that is being stored up uh, by these nations at, at this point in time. And it's a, a, a good reminder for us that this is the same God that we worship today. In fact, I was prepping for this weekend's sermon and I was reading through Jonathan Edwards sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God, by the way, Thursday was his birthday. Um, Aww, Jonathan happy Edwards. Birthday, Jonathan. Yeah. He's not alive anymore though, no, to be clear. He's not. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I was reading through his sermon centers in the hands of an angry God and, and just talk about a, a, a stark picture of the wrath of God compared to so much of the, the, the teddy bear. Uh, we talked about it last Sunday, domestication of God that right. we come across in our culture and society today. I mean, in that sermon, he talks about the, the sinner as a spider dangling over the flames of hell and the flames of hell are licking against and, and lashing out against that single thread that hangs the spider. And Edwards is very clear. The one that's holding the spider is God suspending the sinner over the fires of hell. And, and it's this juxtaposition of respecting his wrath and his, his fury against the sinner. And yet his grace, that is the one that's holding the sinner. That's keeping the sinner from being plunged into the, the fires of hell uh, already. And I, I'm just reminded of that reading a passage like this, like God is a wrathful God against sin. And we are, are fools to think that somehow he, he doesn't care about it today. I mean, and we're going to talk about it this weekend in our sermon, the, the people that surround us that don't know Christ, I think we so often don't give much thought to this reality that this is their future that we're talking about here. The judgment of God being poured out upon them, that they are a soul and not just a, a, a neighbor, not just a coworker, not just a boss. And there's an eternity attached to that soul. And if they don't know Christ, that eternity is that soul dangling over the fires of hell. Yeah. The wrath of God is one of those scary topics that we, I mean, we don't spend a lot of time talking about, but scriptures 
pretty replete with that. Mm-hmm. Scripture has a lot to say about God's impending judgment. And I even think about many of our worship songs don't include, I mean, certainly they're not entirely about God's wrath. The songs that we do sing that include God's wrath are songs like, like Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath, completely right. satisfied. Right. I mean, they, they will give a line or two to God's wrath, but certainly it's not the, the whole thing. And I think that's appropriate. Uh, that's not, again, it's not essential to God's character. It's resultant of his just nature. It's resultant of his righteousness. But uh, it's not essential. It's a response to the the sin of mankind. So certainly it's something to be aware of. I mean, this whole, this whole chapter, it's about a God who's, I mean, J- Jesus is described as having his robe, uh, with having blood on mm-hmm. his robe because he's stomping and crushing the, his foes. That's our Jesus. Our God is a warrior, as, as one of the hymns say. Yeah. And we should be aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. In chapter 34, verse eight, though, notice that all of this is done for the good of Zion. It says for the Lord has a day of vengeance and vegetables (laughs) and vegetables, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. So this is a, in that context of, of the the threat to his people, Israel, there's this forward looking anticipation of this eschatological judgment. And yet there's going to be this hope for Zion that's contained. And that's uh, chapter 35, the wasteland that is left behind by his judgment is going to be restored now for the people of God. Um, and he is going to deliver the, them and lead them in. And, and I was reading in, in chapter 35, verse five uh, and six, and in my mind went to Luke chapter seven, when John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus to say, hey, are, are you the one? Because I'm sitting here in jail and there's no messianic kingdom that's going on right now. And Jesus doesn't quote this passage, but says, hey, look, the eyes of the blind are opened and the lame are walking. And, and here you see this similar idea with reference to the Messianic kingdom. And it's that idea that when Christ came at the inauguration of his kingdom in the, the first advent there, that is what it was. It's it's the, the beginning. It's the, the beginning of the already not yet where we find ourselves, that the, the full realization of this is yet future, but we're living in the, in the already inaugurated element of the kingdom in the sense that that we're beginning to feel the effects of this. And we saw it through Christ's earthly ministry and we'll live in the full reality reality of it in the future. There's a lot of theology that works that way. The, the now and not yet. And I think that's a, that's a challenge for us as Bible readers, but it's also a, an encouragement because I mean, Isaiah 35 is coming to pass for us. The desert becomes the garden. Jesus is initiating and inaugurating a new a new thing and that's a cool thing but remember we're still in the and the already and not yet hard to balance biblically but that's what we're led to believe here based on i mean i think jesus is quoting this i mean it's not it's a loose quotation it's right. not meant to be Illusion. direct yeah he's alluding to it for sure in other words john i'm doing the thing i promised i would do in, in isaiah 35 right right well chapter 36 returns to a, a different uh, text format here it's uh, it's no longer the the poetry of prophecy. It's it's prose. It's uh, more historical writing, and uh, this recounts a, a scene that we've already come across before in uh, in our time in Kings and Chronicles, where you have a situation with King Hezekiah facing Sennacherib of Assyria coming against Jerusalem, and it says there in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah. Um, we've got some some issues here because this is 701 BC um, is what we have this dated to. But the problem is, if we go to when it, it says that he first came to reign uh, in Second Kings 18.1, that would be 729 is where it seems that Hezekiah first came to the throne. And so how do we reconcile the, the situation there and the, the differences in time? Well, it appears that Hezekiah was a co-regent with Ahaz from 729 to 716. So 729 to 716, 715, he was co-reigning with with uh, Ahaz there, then took over the throne in 715, 14th year from his sole reign 
reigning would be 701, which is when we have Sennacherib coming against Jerusalem. So we can reconcile the differences in the text without much, much difficulty there. Yeah, and I think the the important thing. I mean, if you guys read this, did we, did we go through this together? We did. We did talk about snack, yeah. snacking on ribs. Uh, yeah, Second Kings nineteen or whenever this was. Uh, in any in any case, yeah, some of the dating mechanisms that we utilize today are more. No, not some of them. Most of them are far more precise than how they were used in days like this. Right. There's no there's no disagreement. There's no uh, there's no inaccuracies. It's just the way that they treated time was different than how you and I do. Remember, they didn't live in a day where they could count seconds on their watch right. and all of their watches were in sync. Right. They uh, they counted times differently than we do. So whenever you see dating issues that uh, that seem to be problematic, withhold judgment and condemnation against the word of God until you've had a chance to really see, okay, what way would this work out? They're giving the, the writers the benefit of a doubt. And that often just means being patient, trying to figure out, okay, what were they do, using to calculate these things? Which is a great point that came up recently. Somebody wrote in a question based on a, a a sermon that I just preached That's on right. timing in the gospels. Right. And we talked about the 10th hour in the early part of the gospel of John, there would have been about 4 PM reckon, reckoning from the Jewish time frame that viewed the day starting at about 6 AM, which was sunrise. So 10 hours from 6 AM would have put it about 4 PM. Um, there was another way to, to count time based on the Roman method, which would have been from midnight to, to midnight. And right. so that would have been about 10 AM versus 4 PM. And so the question was, you know, what do we do with, with this? How do we, yeah. how do we reconcile this? You know, Mark, uh, it's recording from, from Peter's idea puts the crucifixion about the, the third hour of the day, which would have been 9 a.m. But John says at the sixth hour, Christ was still there and hadn't yet been centered to sentenced to death. That would have been noon. So what do we do with the reckon, with the discrepancy there? And, and it goes to your point there. I, I think we are far more concerned with the, the, the minutes and, and hours of the watch than they were. They didn't have a watch on. They didn't have an Apple watch. They didn't have a phone. Think about how surrounded you are by a clock right now. And, and think about all of those things that you are looking at for time and realize how many of those existed or were even in existence during the time of Christ. And my guess is your answer is uh, none of them, right? We're dealing with a sundial for, <laughs> for most of these <laughs> or situations. Or the actual sun. Or the actual sun. <laughs> so the precision is just not going to be there. But that doesn't mean that what we have is not reliable. It just means we need to understand the cultural context in which we're reading these things. That's right. Well, in the rest of, of 36, and again, we did cover this in a, a previous podcast. You've got uh, the Rab, Rab Shaka. Again, that name just is a court official. Funny. funny that's, name. that's a funny way to put it. Rab Shaka. He, he comes and, uh, and taunts Israel and says, who do you think you are? Who do you think your God is that's going to deliver you out of the hands of Sennacherib? And, and we'll find out in the preceding chapters from here what actually happens and who that God is that's going to deliver his people. Dude, verse 18, beware, lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Right. That's evil, man. Yeah. I saw the devil in that sentence right there. Yeah. That's where you just back up from the rap because you're like, okay, dude, okay. if lightning is going to come from the sky, it's going to come right now. <laughs> right. All right. Well, hey, let's uh, flip over to our New Testament reading flip for the day. Flip over to flip. Flip to Philippians. Uh, the, the Philippines. The Philippian. The, yeah. We'll stop there. Um, yeah. Philippians. It's on uh, page 1,267 in my Bible. Please turn there. Yep. Chapter two. Chapter two. We left off last time. Pastor Rod pointed out that command. (laughs) Yeah. In chapter one. 
to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Chapter two, that's kind of the umbrella command that overarches across the rest of chapter two, at least if not further into the book as well. But it's okay. What does that look like? How do I do that? Like, that sounds great. I want to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. How do I do that? Well, that's chapter two in Philippians. And it opens up with this call to humility and unity that we would think of others more importantly than ourselves, that we would look not only to our own interest, but the interest of others. And then of course, there's the famous passage of why that is. And it's because of the example that we have in Christ. And this is in theological circles. Maybe you've heard it before called the kenosis passage, K-E-N-O-S-I-S. And that word comes from the word that's translated in the ESV emptied. It's uh, it's kanao in Greek. It's to empty. It's to to loosen or to to uh, yeah divulge yourself. And so people have have spent a lot of time trying to figure out what does it mean that Christ emptied himself, uh, because that that's a, a loaded statement. And there have been heretical views that have emerged from this that would say that that somehow Jesus gave up some of his divinity, some of his his deity when he came to earth and uh, ceased being fully God in that equation and somehow needed to do that in order to become fully man. That's that's rank heresy. That that is is completely untrue. Uh, he was fully God, fully man at the same time. I think the text explains for us, if we'll let it do that, what it means. In verse seven, he emptied himself by, okay, that little preposition there informs what does it mean that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. If you remember Moses, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the 10 commandments, he came back down and there was something unique about Moses when he came back down. His face was glowing. Had bling. Yeah. And glowing to the point that the people couldn't even look at his face. Had a glow up. And this wasn't, yeah, <laughs> the first glow up ever. Um, this was not even, obviously Moses isn't God. This was just the impact that the full glory of God had had on Moses as Moses returned down the mountain. And so Moses had to veil the his face so that the people could, could be around him. Jesus coming to earth veiled his full deity with his full humanity. Didn't divulge it, didn't divest it, didn't get rid of it, but veiled it so that he could be here on earth. And that veiling looked like the the humility of the incarnation taking on flesh. And that's what Paul uses to build this argument that we should likewise be humble towards one another. Yeah. So one way we can think about this is that Jesus actually empties himself by taking something on. Right. It's not that he removes something of his person. He adds something to his person. Right. He adds to deity. He adds humanity. Uh, and so when you look at this text here, when you look at verse seven, he empties himself by taking on the form of a servant. Um, that's the way to think, to think through it. You're not removing, you're adding and you're not adding, uh, you're not adding something less than deity. You're adding deity and humanity together in one person. You, both, uh, Jesus is fully God and he is also truly man and truly God. Sometimes we say he's a uh, fully man and fully God. And we know what we mean by that. But if we're thinking logically, it's not that doesn't work. You can't have 100% this and 100% that because then you have 200%. Um, what we mean by that is we have truly man and truly God. That's the way that we would communicate that. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, he goes on from there. Another verse that is worth our attention is verse 12, where we are called to work out our own salvation uh, with fear and trembling. Works Not, righteousness, Pastor PJ? No, he doesn't say work for. He doesn't say work for your own salvation. Uh, he says work out. 
you have your salvation in Christ for by grace, you have been saved through faith. Now, though, we now work that out. Um, in other words, salvation looks uh, salvation does, doesn't just exist. It's not passive. It's active. Our salvation sanctifies, as we've talked about. You, the, the grace that saves you is the grace that trains you to be more like Jesus. And this is the working out our salvation. But there's this dance that takes place here because it's God, as he goes on to say, who's at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what? we work and God works. And how does that look? Well, it looks like we don't boast in our righteousness. We don't boast in our obedience to the word of God because we know that there is an abiding presence within us in the, the form of the spirit that is producing that desire in us to get up in the morning and to read the Bible. To, it's producing the desire in us not to cheat on our taxes. That's producing the desire in us to to stay pure and to stay holy and to stay God. We don't boast in ourselves in that and bow up and say, look how great we are. We know that God is working the that fruit of the spirit in our lives as he is enabling us to work out our salvation. Some of the theology behind that are the terms monergism and synergism. Mm. Uh, monergism is the one working. You might hear the word mono. Remember in the days where there used to be stereo and mono, you could choose it on your on your radio dial. Uh, mono means singular. There's a singular signal. Stereo means two or uh, multiple. You have two different uh, soundscapes. Or synergism is uh, you hear the word syn, uh, like synergy or uh, synonym. S-Y-N. S-Y-N. Syn, syn, uh, uh, synergism. Synergism is the working together with God. So... Um, in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, you have the idea that we work together with God in our sanctification, but God works alone in our justification. That is a monergistic work of God. He alone affects the justification that we need, but we work with him. This is the beautiful thing about our Christian faith. We do work with him. We cooperate with him to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that's something that you have control over, Christian. You can decide today, right now, I'm going to work harder uh, through the, the by the Spirit's effort, by His willing and His working in me, I'm going to work harder in my salvation. I'm going to memorize more Scripture. I'm going to read and study it more and understand more. I want to become more like Christ. Well, in, in a large part, you have the ability to cooperate with His Spirit to produce more fruit, if you so desire. Yep, yep. And that's the greatest difference between you and an unbeliever right there. An unbeliever does not have that capability, does not have that ability to see that growth and see that transformation, see that Christ-likeness in their lives. But right. you in Christ being set free from slavery to sin, Romans 6, you now have that ability. Right, to work with God synergistically. Yep. Hey, we'll tune in again tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Mm-hmm.